It might have been a silent night for some sleepy families in Bethlehem, but it was one for the ages for the shepherds. While they were watching their flocks, an angel of the Lord appeared to them to announce Jesus, the Savior, had been born. They might have expected a visit from a wolf that night, but I doubt they planned on a visit from an angel. No shepherd wakes up in the morning and writes on a post-it note, 11.30 p.m. tonight, we are going to be visited by an angel. And yet, when the angel announced that Christ had been born, their response was decisive. They were excited. They said one to another, come on, let's go. And because they were so elated at the announcement that Jesus, the Messiah, had been born, they left their flocks behind just so they could go worship the Christ child. After the birth of Jesus, a star appeared in the heavens and settled over the home where Jesus and his family lived. And some wise men, probably astrologers who lived in the east, they noticed the star. Oh, come on, we have to be honest. We've seen about three kings, but we really don't know how many wise men joined forces to make that long journey to discover what that star really meant. But we do know they made a long journey, and it took them a long time to find their way to Jesus. Thankfully, thanks to that star, they found Jesus. After that tiring journey, they arrived at the house of Mary and Joseph, not at the stable like some stories portray. So I'm sorry if you're Christmas drama this year had the wise men at the manger. They probably weren't there. In fact, some believe Jesus was about two years old when the wise men finally found him. And we know this because the book of Matthew records King Herod ordered all male children two years old and younger living in Bethlehem in that immediate area to be killed, hoping Jesus would be among them. We do know that when the wise men arrived, though, they brought treasures. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Or if you ask a three-year-old, they brought gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. And they presented these gifts to Jesus in worship. They didn't know everything about the Christ, but they knew enough to bring him gifts and worship. So while the shepherds left their flocks behind to worship Jesus, the wise men traveled a long way to bring treasures with them to worship Jesus. At times, worship involves leaving some things behind like the shepherds did. At other times, worship involves bringing some things with us to give to God like the wise men did. Either way, God welcomes both shepherds and wise men, and certainly he welcomes worship. And we're going to hear more about that on this very special Christmas episode of God's Word for Life. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. I hope you're having a very happy Boxing Day, all my Canadian and British friends. I hope you also had a very Merry Christmas. This is a special Christmas episode for the God's Word for Life Companion podcast. I know many churches, because of the weather, this winter storm Elliot that just came through here, were shuttered yesterday. And so if you did not get the chance to be a part of your Sunday school or a small group, this is the lesson you would have heard yesterday. So I hope it blesses you. Hope it helps you. It is taken from, of course, no surprise, it's taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 11. And it's called Worshiping with Shepherds and Wise Men. The word of God reads, And when they, referring to the wise men, were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, the dictionary tells us about worship. Worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. When we think of worship, we often think of singing and praising and clapping our hands and lifting our hands or jumping up and down or dancing around or playing the guitar. And that's all part of worship. But that comes from this great respect, honor, devotion. Worship can mean showing adoration or having this feeling of profound love and admiration. Loving without question, sometimes even loving to excess. Our love for God should always be manifested in our worship of God. Not only does our worship honor God, but nothing is more fulfilling as a human than being in the presence of God and worshiping Him with all of our heart. Worship must begin with a knowledge or revelation of whom we worship. To please God, we must have this knowledge, this revelation that comes from God's Word. The night the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds was a night of revelation and understanding for them. They learned about God prior to that night. No doubt, no doubt they'd been to synagogue. No doubt they'd heard the scriptures. But that night was eclipsed. All they had learned was eclipsed by the glory of God that was shining all around them. All their tradition, all their past experience must bow the knee to biblical truth and greater revelation. God himself was speaking to them to fulfill his very word. True biblical worship will satisfy the soul completely. We don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. Warren Rearsby, in his book, The Integrity Crisis, quotes William Temple, who made this very clear in his masterful definition of worship. He wrote, For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose. In all of this is gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. That was a quote from William Temple in the book The Integrity Crisis by Warren Wiersbe. Now here's our first stop for a question. What sights and sounds do you often associate with worship? Now, the shepherds were being summoned to a higher place of worship and adoration than ever before. Could you imagine? Just on your job, while you're working, factory floor, office, high-rise, doesn't matter, and all of a sudden the sky or the ceiling lights up with the glory of God and an angel tells you that God is speaking to you? That would leave an impact. The shepherds all looked at each other and nodded and agreed they're going to leave their flocks to go worship and find the Christ child. If we want to come to Jesus and become everything he wants us to be, we might have to leave some things behind. We're not the first to do that. We learn about this in the Old Testament. When a man desires to marry, he must, Scripture says, in Genesis chapter 2, leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. If a woman wants to marry, she must leave her home and be joined to her husband. Another example in the Old Testament tells us Abraham had to leave his home country and obey the call of God in his life, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Sometimes God will call on us to leave some things behind as a form of worship to show our love and our devotion to him. One of the Ten Commandments tells us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. Oh, by the way, there's a great book on the Ten Commandments called Ten Words, written by L.J. Harry. And back to our lesson. 
God should always be first in our lives. Other gods in our lives, they could be all kinds of things, job, success, beauty, money, sports, just to name a few. We must make sure there is no other God but God in our life. There's an interesting story in Matthew chapter 19, told about one man who came to Jesus. The scripture describes him as rich, young, and a ruler. It'd be amazing to be young again. It'd be even more amazing to be young and rich, and it would be amazinger to be young, rich, and a ruler. But this guy had it all. He came to Jesus, rich, young, and in leadership. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He even called Jesus good master. He was respectful. He was young. He was rich. He was one of those guys that you would not mind your daughter bringing home. And then Jesus responded and said, you need to keep the commandments. And the young man said, which ones? And Jesus said, well, keep them all. And the young man said, I've done it ever since I was a youth. Check that box. Anything else? And then Jesus said, you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And he couldn't do it because he could not leave anything behind, even if it meant following Jesus. Here's another question. Why do you think Jesus asked this rich young man to sell everything he had and give the money to the poor? He never asked anybody else to do that. Why do you think he asked him? to do that. Well, the wise men were exactly the opposite of the shepherds. Shepherds were poor and lowly. In fact, some shepherds couldn't even testify in court because their testimony was not admissible in court. They weren't trustworthy. They weren't reliable. Shepherds, they just were filthy. But there were some things they had to leave behind in order to get to Jesus. They were a lot like a lot of the Jews in Jesus' time. They realized the path they were on to God, it wasn't getting them anywhere. They weren't getting any closer to God, but that night everything changed, and it changed with fresh and new revelation. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ child, has been born unto you. And the shepherds left everything behind just to worship him. Here's a third question. Can you name other people in the Bible who left things behind to show their love and their devotion to Jesus? Because there are others. Can you name some? Now, as Jews, these shepherds had been instructed by the law, which is our Old Testament, to love and to worship God. The book of Deuteronomy contains the Shema, the heart of Old Testament worship. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The Jews have been tempted many times to worship idols and sin against God, and they had. Scripture reveals several times they turned their backs on God and they left God behind. But when God extended mercy and called them back to himself, they were often too poor to bring any treasures. Instead, they were asked to leave some things behind, leave their old lives. That was an act of worship. It must have been amazing to receive this angelic visitation and invitation to be the first of humanity to visit God in the flesh and yet have nothing to bring. If you've ever gone to a birthday party or wedding reception and you realize you forgot to bring a gift, that can be embarrassing. The shepherds were the first people to arrive, according to Luke, but they arrived empty-handed. Maybe they didn't know what to bring. What do you bring the one who literally has everything because he created everything? Or maybe in the excitement of this angelic announcement, they were so stunned they decided to just go before thinking about bringing an appropriate gift. But nevertheless, the shepherds show us the importance of presenting our own selves 
as worship to the King of Kings. On the other side of the world, some Gentile worshipers were on their way to see this Messiah. Wise men were not coming empty-handed. Their gifts tell us a lot about what they thought of Jesus and what they thought about worship. When we come to worship, we ought to bring gifts that tell Jesus we recognize who he is and we desire to give him worship he is absolutely worthy of. Fourth question, aside from Jesus, because that's a given, who is your favorite character in the Christmas story? For me, I think it's probably the shepherds. Could be Joseph. Joseph was amazing. But I, for me, I think it's the shepherds. Matthew's the only writer who mentioned wise men. Mark, John, they make no comment about the birth of Jesus. Luke, who wrote the most about Jesus' birth, he left this whole scene out about the wise men. Matthew is the one we credit for all of this information about the wise men, the magi, those who came from the east. Matthew's single and yet very brief passage has not only sparked a great deal of imagination over the centuries, but it's raised a lot of questions. Matthew mentioned three types of gifts the wise men presented. There might have been two, three, might have been more men in this merry band of traveling men. Some have even suggested there might have been as many as 12. Now that would change the song. We 12 kings of Orient are. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? One of the most familiar images from any nativity scene are the wise men. Three men standing there with gifts in their hands, star hovering over the stable where Jesus was born, but few people actually know what the Bible really says about this event or what it really means for us. In Matthew 2 verse 1, we read now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. According to Matthew 2, verse 2, verse 7, the star which the wise men had seen, it first appeared the night Jesus was born. Matthew says the Magi came to Jerusalem seeking the Messiah because they saw the star that had been in the sky since his birth. They got to Jerusalem and King Herod summoned them. He wanted to know exactly the exact time the star appeared. He was trying to pinpoint the precise moment Jesus was born. We're not sure what the wise men told him, but we know Herod issued a decree to kill all the baby boys two years old and under, which might indicate Jesus was born up to two years earlier. The wise men did not arrive at the same time as the shepherds. I'm sorry, but it did not happen. They arrived on the same day Jesus was born, but the wise men, it took them a little while. Jesus' family was not in a stable. They were living in a house at the time the wise men arrived, because the scripture says in Matthew 2, verse 11, when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Whether these wise men understood what the gifts represented, they did represent something very significant. They truly reflected the character of Jesus. They were also prophetic as they represented who Jesus was and what he would ultimately suffer. The wise men's worship and adoration of Jesus were in large part represented in what they brought to him. The gold may have represented his royalty. Jesus was the king of the Jews and he was and is the king of kings. And the wise men might have recognized this. They were wise men. They completely bypassed King Herod. They brought Herod nothing and gave everything to Jesus. They brought Jesus frankincense, which was an aromatic incense, might have represented his divinity. He truly was God in flesh that made him qualified to offer himself as a sacrifice. 
but among their treasures was myrrh. It was somewhat foreboding. The myrrh was used in embalming. It might have represented, even in a prophetic manner, Jesus' future death and burial. It may have represented his suffering and his humanity. When Nicodemus and Joseph went to anoint Jesus' body for burial, they took with them myrrh. We read about that in John chapter 19. This could very well have been a foreshadowing that Jesus had been born to die. The wise men worshipped based on their God-given revelation of Jesus. They worshipped the one who was king, who was priest, who had sacrificed himself for their redemption. Now, on Christmas Sunday or the Sunday after it or the Sunday before it, you probably did not bring a literal gift to Jesus, but I sure hope you brought him your life. Make him king in your life. We can bring him our desires. Show him our lives are not going to be based on just what makes us happy, but what makes him happy. We can bring our love, our love for him, our love for others, our love for the world for which he died. We can bring our faith. We can bring our lives, our families, bring our finance to support what he gave his life for. We can bring him our faith in the future, which might involve retirement, traveling, hobbies, health, might even involve the rapture or even death. And yet we trust him with our future. We can bring him our faith in heaven itself, knowing that what he promised he will perform. Last question. What are some other things we can bring to Jesus when we come to worship? When we come to Jesus, we leave sin and worldliness behind. We bid farewell to those sinful habits and addictions. This shows us and Jesus that we love him and we want to please him. This, my friend, is worship. We worship with the shepherds when we leave our sinful past behind us and we submit to the will of God for our lives. And we worship with the wise men when we bring gifts of faith and obedience. We show him and trust him and submit our lives to him. All our desires, all our hopes, all our dreams, they're in his hands. We choose to serve him and worship him, not just on Christmas Day as we celebrate his birth, but every day of our lives. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. Robertson McQuilkin. And you thought your name was tough. He was the former president of Columbia International University of Columbia, South Carolina. He shared his testimony. He said this, and I quote, Life was heavy on me. My dearest friend and intimate companion, my delightful wife Muriel, was slipping away one painful loss at a time as Alzheimer's disease ravaged her brain. Just as the full impact of what was happening to us hit home, the life of Bob, our eldest son, was snuffed out in a diving accident. Two years later, to care for Muriel, I left my life work at its peak. I was numb, not bitter, alone angry. Why should I be? That's the way life is, life in a broken world. But the passion and my love for God had evaporated, leaving a residue of resignation where once had been vibrant faith. I knew that I was in deep trouble, and I did the only thing I knew to do. I went away to a mountain hideaway for prayer and fasting. It took about 24 hours to shake free of preoccupation with my own wounds and to focus on the excellencies of God. As I did, slowly love began to be rekindled, and with love came joy. I wrote God a love letter naming 41 of his marvelous gifts to me, spotlighting 11 of his grandest acts in history, 
and exulting in ten of his characteristics that exceed my imagination. Surely he enjoyed my gratitude. Who doesn't appreciate gratitude? But I discovered something else. Something happened to me. I call it the reflex action of thanksgiving. My love flamed up from the dying embers and my spirit soared. I discovered that ingratitude impoverishes, but that a heavy heart lifts on the wings of praise. End quote. That is beautiful. Sometimes we're like the wise men who bring something magnificent to Jesus. Sometimes we're like the shepherds who leave behind something to come to Jesus. Either way, let us choose to come to him every day and worship him with all our heart. I'd like to lead us in prayer for God to help us leave behind whatever we need to when we come to him and to help us bring our gifts to him when we come to him and worship him with all our heart. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for coming to this earth, coming incarnate in human flesh to redeem us from our sins. I thank you for that. I ask you today, Lord Jesus, help us help us to leave behind whatever we need to leave behind, whatever sinful habits, lifestyles, addictions, whatever we have been harboring, holding on to, help us to leave all of them behind, Jesus. And at the same time, help us to bring to you whatever we can bring. You're worthy of everything we have to give. Help us to bring all of it to you, God. Help us to bring every gift we can bring to you in worship. We love you, Lord. Help us to worship you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our might. And we will always give you praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I do hope you had a Merry Christmas. Hope you're having a happy Boxing Day today, and hopefully you will have a very happy new year as we move into the new year. Be sure to subscribe and share. That way others can be blessed by this podcast as well, hopefully as you have been. And head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. You'll find some fantastic resources there to help you in your devotional walk with God, to help you in your relationship with Him, to help you to know what to leave behind and what to bring. You'll find all of that, PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week is New Year's. It will be 2023 when we join together again on this podcast. And next week, we finish up our series, The Work of the Spirit. On New Year's Day, I want to share with you an episode called Victory Through the Spirit. It stems from Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, next year, and always look forward to learning and living out. God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.